Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. I'm super excited about today's show. I'm going to be joined by Ben Parr, formerly of Mashable, and we're going to talk about the science of getting attention. Also, if you ever want to reach out to me, you can always email podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. That goes directly into my inbox. But first, let's go to this week's new discovery. After untangling a school of anacondas, look what Michael Stelzner found. Do you ever wish there was a cool system to analyze hashtags? Well, guess what? I found such a system. And from what I can tell, it's free. And let me first tell you what it does. It takes a look at Instagram, Twitter, and a couple other sites. I think, let's see here, YouTube and a few others. And what it does is it goes ahead and it analyzes the hashtag. It's known as Seen, S-E-E-N.co, Seen.co. So if you type in a hashtag, for example, I typed in uh, the hashtag for Social Media Success Summit. What it shows you is it shows you insights, kind of like Bitly does. It shows you the number of, of activities along that hashtag over a period of time. It even shows you the number of posts per hour. So at the point of this recording, there's 11.6 posts per hour. And it shows you related hashtags that people use. For example, social media was one of the related hashtags. But what's really cool about it is you can, you can click on all, you can click on photos, you can click on videos, or you can click on tweets. So you can kind of zoom in and see what's going on with different hashtags. I went ahead and did the same thing uh, for Social Media Marketing World's hashtag. And to my surprise, I'm still seeing uh, 13.5 hashtags a day for um, our, our event. And that's kind of shocking considering it ended like six months ago. And th- this is kind of just a very cool discovery tool to see who's using your hashtags across different sites. And from what I can tell, it's free. And again, you can find it at seen.co, seen.co. Give it a try. Let me know what you think. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top-tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society 
for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. Now let's transition over to today's expert interview. Helping you simplify your social safari, here's this week's expert guide. I'm very excited to be joined today by Ben Parr. You may recognize his name. He's the former co-editor for Mashable. He's also the co-founder of Dominate Fund, a company that invests in great startups up in the Bay Area. And his brand new book is called Captivology, The Science of Capturing People's Attention. Ben, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And by the way, that opening that opening intro that you have is amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, what we're going to talk about today is is the art. Well, actually, the science of getting attention. And Ben, you've done some amazing things in this book. But before we get into it, um, let's just start with a little bit of your backstory. How did you land at Mashable? Let's start there. So, uh, let's see. I graduated from. Northwestern in 2009, and I mean, really what just happened was I just started writing my personal blog years ago, and it, they, some of my stories hit Dig, and, you know, Dig was a big thing at the time. Oh, yeah. And, and Mashable noticed, and they asked me, why don't you just write on the side once in a while for us? And I did, and it did really well, and then they asked me to come on board as a junior editor, and, you know, I quickly became co-editor, and it was just a crazy time. It was it was what, just fantastic. Yeah, when was that? When did you start writing for Mashable? 2008 is when I started writing for them. And it was 2009 uh, when I became co-editor and uh, joined, and moved to San Francisco because I was in Chicago at the beginning. Well, that's, that's a crazy time because that's actually when Social Media Examiner started. And that's when Facebook was exploding and Twitter was all the rage. And um, how long were you, were you with Mashable? I was with Mashable for three and a half years. And what kind of what kind of... Uh, what kind of content were you responsible for? So when I was co-editor, it was everything. You know, I was uh, in charge of West Coast, and I would do just anything. You know, I was in Silicon Valley. I was the only one there for a long time. So if anything in Silicon Valley had to happen, it was me. They needed somebody to interview Mark Zuckerberg. They needed somebody to talk to Ashton Kutcher, you know. So I did a lot of everything. I ended up writing, I think, 2,400 articles by the end of my tenure, but also, you know, helped manage and mentor a lot of reporters and a lot of uh, junior editors. So you wrote a book called Captivology. What's the path that got you to this book and why did you decide to write a book on this? So a couple years ago when I was just starting out investing in companies, I realized they were all starting to ask me about for help in a couple key areas, for help with press and marketing, customer and user acquisition, virality, and all these areas are really attention, you know. They wanted help with capturing attention, getting attention for their products, getting users, all that sort of thing. And that really falls into that, you know, it was just interesting. So I went and I did a lot of research on that subject. And I realized that there was just so much interesting information about attention. And there's so much research over the last 50 years. But no one had put it together into something mainstream that everyone uh, could see or understand. So I wanted to I just felt compelled to present this new model of attention. And I've had book offers over the years, but this is the first time I got really excited 
for a subject. Very cool. What kind of science did you end up studying and looking at? Because I know, obviously, you looked at a lot. When I mean, you were I looking. went. Yeah, go ahead. I, no, I went through over a thousand. Um, 1,000 different research studies, and I interviewed dozens of PhDs, and as well as business leaders, thought leaders, people like Sheryl Sandberg and Steven Soderbergh and David Copperfield were gracious enough to give me their time. Wow. And they helped me frame the book in a way where there's a lot of science and a lot of research, but it also is practical. You can use it in daily life. So when you're going through and you're examining very boring <laughs> journal articles, probably on research stuff and talking to very exciting people. Did you start to notice kind of certain patterns or did you make any interesting discoveries and did dots connect in your brain and you're like, oh, that's why that happens? I had theories, you know. And so I had theories about how we did reward systems, for example. And I confirmed some of my belief on how reward systems work. Like most reward systems like uh, airplanes and airlines. They do incentives. You do this, I'll give you this. And the research shows that incentives are the worst way to get people to be loyal, to get attention. Really? Why is that? Because uh, it treats us like Pavlovian dogs. Mm. So for example, there's a type of reward given called post-action rewards. And post-action rewards are when you uh, is when after someone completes an action, they get a reward as a surprise. And when you surprise people with a reward, it's saying it, it reinforces behavior, giving automatic delight to them. They are, um, it reinforces behavior stronger, and they have a stronger memory of what happened. Hmm. Interesting. Well, in your book, you talk about different attention types. Can you go ahead and kind of give us an overview of the different types of attention? So there are three stages of attention in my research. There's immediate attention, short attention, and long attention. And so immediate attention is that immediate and automatic reaction we have to certain sights, sounds, and stimuli. It's when you hear a gunshot, you duck. And it's because of an automatic reaction to protect us. And there's a lot of fascinating science on how that works and why it matters. Now, uh, there's also short attention, and that's the second stage. And that's when you start consciously focusing on something. Hmm. That's when you start, you know, when we start listening to a show or watching the stories about the dress, that's short attention. And uh, it, it's that short-term kind of distance. But what a lot of people don't really think about is the third stage of attention, which I call long attention, which is long-term interest in a subject. It's the difference between listening to a Beyonce song on the radio and becoming a lifelong fan of Beyonce and buying all of her albums. And so it's these three stages of attention that brands and individuals, marketers, musicians, everybody walks through. And it's, you can't, it's not enough to turn people, to make people see your ad. You've got to turn them into users and customers. And that's a big piece of the puzzle that I talk about in my book. Okay, so um, are these stages kind of like steps in a stair where you have to start with immediate and then get to short and then go to long? Or can you jump anywhere along the path, so to speak, as a marketer? You've got to go through all three stages. There is no such thing as starting with, you've got to go through all three stages. You know, there is no way to get to long attention without getting their short attention first. And so you've got to walk them through that three stages of attention through that process. Different psychological triggers capture attention at those stages, though. And so I talk a lot in the book about these seven captivation triggers and how they capture attention at each stage. So you need all three stages of attention. You don't necessarily need to use all the triggers because you can't use all the triggers for every stage. 
So let's let's talk about the immediate stage. Um, you talked about the gunshot example, and I don't know if this is what Cialdini talks about in his book. He he talks about something called click whirl response. Um, what 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 kinds of can you give us some examples of what marketers maybe or other marketers are doing to get the immediate attention, and then maybe we can talk about how you can bridge that to get to the short. So immediate attention is. For example, I talk about automaticity and how certain sights and sounds make us pay, uh, pay attention automatically. An example I talk a lot about is Amazon and how um, Amazon uses those yellow and orange buttons for a reason for buy buttons. They have the highest contrast with their surroundings on white and gray web pages and they perform the best. But most bright colors will. The science shows that high contrast makes us pay attention. At the same time, though, uh, orange has the lowest correlation with competence. And so it's not good if you're like coming into an office and you're doing a job interview in an orange suit because you won't be taken seriously. And it's a fascinating kind of uh, it's a fascinating experience. You know, and, uh, random other examples. If you give somebody a hot cup of coffee, they're more likely to be more generous towards you because we associate the subconscious uh, we got some, the feeling of warmth with the sensation. Of warmth, and so the sensation of warmth translates into that feeling, and it, it's a fascinating kind of discussion. And so these automatic reactions to different sights, sounds, and colors, I see brands using more and more. And it's just even just little things. Like for example, I had a discussion today with uh, a good friend, and how you know, changing uh, the order in which uh, reward uh, like purchases in a mobile game are done. Like if you have a mobile game and it says like buy this thing for ninety five for ninety nine cents, buy this thing for $3, you know, you see those in mobile games. Switching the order will drop uh, sales by more than 5% just by the order. It's crazy how these little things have such a massive impact on our attention and on sales. So uh, how short is immediate attention and how do we get to the short phase of the attention? You know, I mean, like uh, from what I hear you saying, a lot of these things are just going to grab somebody, maybe grab their eye, but, you know, you're competing obviously with lots of things that are grabbing people's attention. And I think obviously the goal is to go from immediate to short. So how, you know, how long is this immediate? Are we talking microseconds and then short is a few seconds? Help me understand if we're talking timeframes here. Uh, immediate attention is measured in the form of seconds, right? It's automatic reactions. Um, once you become conscious of something, that's when it becomes short attention. Uh, immediate attention is unconscious. And so most of the time people become aware of a stimulus consciously after a few seconds. And so short attention is stuff that happens maybe the course is like watching a movie or listening to a radio podcast or playing a game. But it's that one session. And then long attention is the stuff that happens over months and years and centuries is not just, you know, playing a, Mar a Mario game for a little while, but going back and buying the next game and the next game after that, et cetera, et cetera. Interesting. So let's talk about, uh, you mentioned some triggers. Um, what are some triggers that marketers should consider or employ? And can you give some examples of some triggers that might get someone, obviously, to go from short to long? Well, disruption is a very powerful tool for capturing short attention. It's the science of that. We pay attention to the people and things that pay attention to us and provide us. But, um, I apologize. It's the fact that we pay attention to things that are out of place. Mm. And so if you're like think about our hunter gatherer days, you know, when we were hunter gatherers, we 
we would go and look for things that were out of place. There would be, you know, a red, red, red in the fields. It could be berries, or you'd see a movement in the fields. That could be prey, or that could be uh, a, a predator. And we have those same instincts. But you know, I haven't seen a saber-toothed tiger walking down my hallway recently. I don't know about you. <laughs> no. But we still have those same instincts. So we look for things that are out of place. Nowadays, it comes in the form of like shock entertainment or uh, you know stunts or things like that. And so that's a good way to get on the map in some cases. And I talk about uh, disruptions as being it's important that you ha it matches your brand's values. A good example is Patagonia. Patagonia years ago did this great campaign called Don't Buy This Jacket, right? They had a campaign and they told people, don't buy our clothes. They're a clothing company. It makes no sense. It's disruptive. But when you go deeper into it, you see why they said it because they're trying to put the point across that they don't want you to buy their stuff unnecessarily. They want to protect the environment, and they'll repair your clothes if, they, uh, if you want them to. But, of course, they'll let you buy a jacket if you want it as well. That campaign doubled their sales um, about within just nine months. It did a fantastic job for the company. The company's been doing great because of that campaign. So wait a I minute. Mean, so let's, let's, let's dig into what's going on there. So they said don't buy our clothes, and that triggered something in the mind of the people that know who Patagonia is. And they're like, wait a second. <laughs> it probably triggered a little bit of the rebellion in some people, right? You're not going to tell me not to buy these clothes. Now I'm going to go find out what the heck they are. I mean, is that kind of well, what's going on? Some. It's, it is that people want to find out what's going on when, pe when people are told something that doesn't make sense. And, you know, uh, it actually got a lot of new customers as a result. It was in the New York Times as an ad in this big words, don't buy this jacket. Hmm. People are going to read into it and read more about it. And people reported on it, and it worked really well as a result. Uh, on the other hand, I remember years ago, Quiznos had this um, campaign where they these weird mutant-looking rodents trying to sell sandwiches and, like, singing it off-key. And it made no sense. That why would you want rodents, ugly-looking mutant rodents, near your food? And Quiznos went bankrupt last year because they're just – they don't know what they're doing. Mm. Intriguing. Okay, so we've talked about one trigger, the disruption. Are there any other triggers that are worth talking about? Long attention is uh, triggers, for example, I talk about reputation and how we automatically pay attention to reputable sources, specifically experts and authority figures and the crowd. Hmm. And so the science shows, for example, that we pay almost deferential respect to experts. When we listen to someone we consider an expert, the decision-making and critical thinking centers of our brain literally shut down. There's a study that showed this. And as a result, we are more likely to listen when we hear an expert. And the Edelman, Edelman, they do this trust survey every year. They also found, find every year that the most trustworthy spokesperson is always an expert. Like a CEO is near the bottom. So I never get when companies bring out their CEOs for ads. That makes no sense at all. They're not trusted. And so leveraging the fact that you've got to both be an expert in your field or show your expertise or bring in outside experts to help back your claims helps a lot when it comes to attention. Interesting. So how would you advise somebody who wants to become an expert, quote unquote, to, to do that? Because we've heard so many times, don't call yourself an expert. And obviously, you know, people can see right through that. But if others call you an expert, that's a, that's a different kind of story. Um, what, you know, what's the process that we go through to either brand someone on our team as an expert or to become an expert in our own right? What's your thoughts on that? Here's where social media comes and helps. It's, it's creating content. You know, if you're, one of your teammates really is 
shows aptitude or is like an expert in let's let's pick a topic. Let's say is an expert in content marketing. Perfect. Uh, you need to keep writing about it, talking about it, putting that information out there. You know, the more you're writing medium posts or white papers or articles or blog posts or books on that subject, the more you'll be branded as an expert in that area. And the more you do it, the more that association comes. You're proving your expertise by entertaining informative content. Uh, it's just sometimes, in, in one way, it's as simple as that. It's just create content consistently, and you'll be known for that expertise in the key area. So is, is if it, and by the way, I agree 100% with what you're talking about. If anyone listening right now continues to develop content in a particular area and they continue to, you know, write articles about the news that's going on, um, give their opinions about what's going on, explain how to do things in their particular category. If they consistently do that, is their audience going to quote unquote fall into this long attention span? Because, and, and if so, why? Or is it just going to be people are going to come and go? Or, I mean, what I'm trying to get is what's at play here? Is it other people begin calling these people experts? And as a result, people just assume because they trust that that other person is reputable. You know, like, like for example, if Chris Brogan called Ben Parr an expert and somebody doesn't know who Ben Parr is, but they look at your site and they see that you're consistently writing articles about this topic, um, is it just automatically kind of imputed to you that you're an expert and therefore people will begin following you for the long haul? Uh, that is definitely a huge piece of it. Like I said before, the science shows that we pay deferential respect when we believe someone's an expert. And one way to be an expert is having other experts say, you're an expert. Right. There's a whole expert network effect, I guess you could say. Hmm. It's just, uh, you're building an, a relationship when you're creating content consistently. Um, and, you know, celebrities, frankly, are probably the best at this. They, they're experts at at culture. And so the posts that you see from Beyonce or Taylor Swift are the things they do uh, endear them to their audience. And the more that they have that positive, strong, thoughtful interaction, uh, the more popular they become. You have um, had a chance to talk to a lot of experts throughout the years with your work at Mashable and I'm sure the stuff you're doing right now. Why do experts fall off the radar sometimes? They stop creating content. It's, a, it's straightforward. They stop creating content. And they stop creating good content. Why do they stop creating content? Do you think it's like this? Uh, you think this? It's this mistaken mentality that I've arrived and I don't need to do any more work. Complacency, boredom, laziness. Uh, maybe they're happy with their lifestyle. Maybe they want to change. There mm. could be many many reasons. It just depends on your goals and what you want to do. Uh, and I've seen people re-change their expertise to different and interesting topics in smart ways and in bad ways. Right. It just entirely depends. Yeah, I mean, I've been watching this industry for years and it seems like so often people come and people go and it, it is a lot of work and a lot of people think, well, once I've arrived, once I've written that book or once I've gotten on that stage, then I'm good. <laughs> and we both know that's a fallacy. Talk to me about the mystery trigger. What does that mean? So the science shows that we pay attention to mystery. Specifically, we pay attention to incomplete thoughts and tasks. And there's a whole science behind this. Why, for example, we became obsessed with Lost or um, the Serial Podcast. Because when you have that cliffhanger, we become compelled to complete the story. 
And there's two scientific effects at play here. One is something called the Zignaric effect, named after a Soviet researcher, Bluma Zignaric, in the 1950s. And what she discovered was that when we have an incomplete task, we have a stronger memory of it. And so she had children uh, complete puzzles. And what would happen is in half the cases, she'd take the puzzles away halfway through or three thir two-thirds of the way through. Mm. And year weeks and months later, she'd ask these kids about those puzzles, and the only ones they remembered were the ones they couldn't finish. Uh, and so that's the same, same kind of level for mystery. But there's also the um, uncertainty reduction principle in theory. And it's a communication theory that essentially states that when we interact with somebody, our goal is to reduce uncertainty because we find uncertainty uncomfortable. And when there's uncertainty in a story or in a, uh, in a relationship or in anything else, we pay attention because we want to reduce that uncertainty in some way. You give us a cliffhanger, we want to reduce that uncertainty. We, don't, we both like it and don't like it. And so we try everything we can to remove that uncertainty from our lives. How can businesses kind of use this mystery trigger? What's your thoughts on that? So it, it depends on it for the most obvious one is their storytelling is having a little bit of mystery in what you do. Now, um, what it can be suspense within an advertisement as an example. So there's a study that shows that if there's suspense within an ad, uh, there's more people tend to rate it as a better ad and a more thoughtful ad and one they remember longer. Budweiser did a great job of this during the Super Bowl this year with their Budweiser puppy. You know that in Budweiser, for example, they had a puppy that would go was lost and trying to get back home, and it got home with the help of the horses. And you knew that the puppy was going to get home uh, and get away from the wolves. They're not going to kill a puppy. It's not nationwide. Um, <laughs> so, what, so how did they continue the story? Well, you, you, so in this case, it's the moment, moment suspense of how is the puppy going to escape and how is the puppy going to get home that made the story compelling. And it doesn't necessarily have to always be cliffhangers. It's just the moment-to-moment -moment suspense. Hmm. Suspense is a positive emotion for attention. Um, but you can also create – I've seen campaigns where you have you – know, it's a cliffhanger. Or they keep on uh, – you know, it's a multi-series. You, know, you build a relationship with this uh, person or this idea. Um, they do you know, a series like the – I think like the old Spice Guy. What is he going to go do next in his crazy campaign? Right. Things like that. But it's also just a matter of having some, something that people want to come back to and learn more about. That little bit of mystery. It can be a cliffhanger. It can be suspense. Uh, just that little thing. Interesting. I mean, I think about social media and I think about video and I think about you know YouTube and Facebook video and all that. And I would imagine that if a company was about to launch something, they could create a series of videos showing them behind the scenes working on some mysterious Project X, right? <laughs> and that we're going to reveal what that Project X is. And that could create an enormous amount of, of uh, suspense and mystery. And I mean, I even think about every time there's a Macworld conference or whatever, there's always speculation of what's coming out. And that creates kind of this own its own little fury, doesn't it? And even though it's not necessarily manufactured, maybe it is manufactured by Apple. But these kind of things can be quite powerful. So, yeah, it's absolutely very powerful. And I was actually thinking about, there was a couple years ago I did, um, uh, I was asked by The Onion to do this campaign. And what uh, they asked me and they asked uh, Guy Kawasaki and a couple of others to talk about uh, like 
a bucket as if it was the next great Apple product, saying like it revolutionized everything. The storage is unlimited. We said crazy things, <laughs> and it was actually a campaign for uh, for Home Depot and an orange bucket, and it had the mystery because you couldn't see what the thing was and you didn't know what brand it was about. But it was hilarious and it was mysterious and it was uh, just funny as. And it, it, probably, it probably was quite effective, I would imagine, right? Oh, it was totally effective. This is one of those things people don't really hardly do ever, really. It, it does require a lot of thought and it requires creativity. And uh, but, but it is one of those kind of things. And, you know, you said Lost. I love Lost. I'm a huge Lost fan. And, you know, what I loved about Lost is there always was, it's almost like they always stopped at the end of each episode. It's almost like they filmed the beginning of the next episode and then showed it at the end of the last episode, right? So you just kind of got a taste of what was coming next and you couldn't not wait to see the next episode. Why don't we see that so much with videos? I mean, so many videos are compart- have a beginning and an end and that's all there is to it. You would think that this would really work well if people did more of this with serialized video. And maybe the, it exists and I just don't see it. Uh, it's because people don't know. They haven't read my book yet. <laughs> J, but J.J. Abrams figured it out. Yeah. You know, J.J. Uh, Abrams is about to have the number one best-selling movie of all time. Oh, yeah. Star, Star Wars, Wars, right? Yeah. Right. But you look, look, do you know many details at all about the Star Wars movie, the plot, who any of the characters really actually are? No. They does a good job of not revealing all the spoilers like they did with – the new Terminator movie, which bombed. But you know what they did, Ben? At Comic-Con here in San Diego, they released like a six-minute behind-the-scenes movie. And um, people are going nuts over it because that is like – that's like a little teaser, right? And it's like a little – you know, they're showing little bits and they're not giving away the whole thing. And that is exactly really mysterious. And that's why I think people are going crazy over it. And they waited till like the second to the last day or whatever. Did you see that movie? I yes, I, I, I saw that uh, little trailer. You know, people found little details like here's what Le- Princess Leia looks like now. Yeah. But you still don't know, and you didn't hear any lines. You don't know their interactions. You don't know anything about the movie. That's the whole point. There's a mystery to it. J.J. Abrams did it with Cloverfield. I'm just it just shocks me. So many movie studios fail miserably at this with their mark with both the marketing and the actual film or television show. Just now, fail at it. Did did you did you listen to the serial podcast? I have not been able to listen to it. I've been too much on the Honestly, I haven't either. But have you heard anything about, I mean, what... All the time. What, what is it that they did? I mean, I know it was a mystery in general, but was there something specific about, uh, was there any particular case, you know, I know you and I didn't listen to it, but was, is there something about that serialized content that could be something that others should be thinking about from an audio perspective? Well, I mean... I think the serial podcast and the things they did in that, they should have totally – it needs to be done more often and I'm surprised it isn't done more often. Honest truth is that in sometime in the next week or two, I'm going to listen to the entire podcast because I just have to. Uh, I'm not going to comment on what made it work. Maybe I come back on this show. What about Startup? Have you listened to that one? Just Startup? No. Yeah, it's called – the podcast is called Startup and it's, it's by another guy. Alex Bloomberger came from uh, NPR also. He used to work on This American Life. And um, I will I will comment on that one. Basically, the guy took audio equipment with him while he went into the Bay Area trying to get seed capital for his startup company called Gimlet Media. And you may have heard of Gimlet. I don't know. But it's, a, it's an amazing story in the business industry. And he came out with his show. And it shot up to like number two uh, on all of iTunes. And then a few weeks later, um, Serial came out. <laughs> 
But both of these shows, from what I understand, are based on the same concept, which is an ongoing serialized journalistic kind of story. And, you know, you don't know how it's going to end. And uh, you have to start from the beginning. So, I, I mean, I think there's something here and I'm pretty excited about this. Um, what, what, is the, what is the one thing that you want people to take away from your book, Captivology? I mean, like if, if you know, if they don't read the whole thing and they, and they just want to get, you know, one concept, what's the one thing that you want people to really understand as a result of all this research and work that you've done? Honestly, it's a little bit different than the research. It's that I want people to understand attention is a good thing. That attention is something that is uh, can be is a force for good in the right hands. Is that you no longer can you just build something and expect people to come if it's a good product. You have to do more in this noise in this noisy world. If you have something worthwhile, whether it is a lesson or a book or an idea or a startup, you've got to be willing to push it. And bring it out to the forefront. We I, we've lost, we've missed so many Picassos and Godots because um, people haven't known how to put their work out there. And I'm hoping that that book will help a lot of people because um, it's not just it's not attention for yourself. It's attention for your products, passions, and ideas. And I learned that the all those masters of attention, the Sheryl Sandbergs and Bill Gates of the world, they're not trying to get attention for themselves. They're trying to get attention for their ideas. And that's the kind of attention that lasts longest and is the strongest. I know that um, getting attention is hard in today's, you know, in the world that we live in. And I definitely want to recommend people get your book and study it. It's called Captivology. Uh, where can people find out more about you, Ben, your work and your book? So if you want to in, interact with me, whatever social media term you want to use. Uh, my book is Captivology, C-A-P-T-I-V-O-L-O-G-Y, Captivology.com, or just go to Amazon and search Captivology or bit.ly slash Captivology. And you can find it in every Barton's and Noble and bookstores. And if you want to talk with me, I'm at Ben Parr on every social network, Facebook, Instagram, Google+, Twitter, whichever one's your favorite. I'm probably there at Ben Parr or BenParr.com. Ben Parr, author of, and that's with double R, P-A-R-R for everyone listening, author of Captivology. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Well, I hope you found a lot of value in today's interview. I've got a question for you. Are you wondering which social networks are the ones that marketers most want to learn more about? Well, that is what we cover along with a lot more in our free 53-page social media marketing industry report. You can get this brand new report at socialmediaexaminer.com slash report 2015. Also, if there was anything we mentioned in today's podcast and you just didn't catch it, don't worry, we take all the notes for you. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash 160. Also, are you new to the show? Hit that subscribe button on your podcast player so you do not miss a future episode of this podcast. We've got some incredible content lined up for you. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you in the driver's seat next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day. And may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.